Welcome to another edition of The Last Negroes at Harvard. I'm Kent Garrett. There were 18 of us in the Harvard College class of 1963. In 1959, we were the largest number of blacks ever admitted to Harvard. This podcast is about being black in America for over 80 years. Israel's government is facing calls for a ceasefire from some of its closest European allies and from protesters at home. This comes after a series of shootings, including the killing of three hostages. And there is mounting concern about the IDF conduct in the 10-week-old war in Gaza. Take a listen to this Combat Veteran Reacts news channel report about the three killed hostages. What really happened? Why were they killed? And are the Israelis too, quote, trigger happy for the war that they are fighting? The Israeli military seems to have screwed up almost unbelievably bad in their invasion of Gaza. In fact, not only have they appear to have taken out civilians, but they appear to have eliminated their own hostages. We're going to break down exactly how bad they screwed up and what exactly seems to have happened. I'm Paul, a U.S. Army combat veteran who definitely knows what it means to encounter civilians on the battlefield. Let's get into it. Okay, this is the story. Three of the hostages that Hamas took uh, on October 7th uh, were recently killed in Gaza, um, but not they weren't killed by Hamas. They were instead killed by the IDF themselves. Uh, now, what appears to have happened is that these individuals were taken by Hamas, right, moved into Gaza as part of, well, the hostage taking that's kind of defined and, and launched this escalation of the Hamas-Israel uh, conflict. And these hostages were brought into Gaza and appear to have been dispersed kind of throughout the Strip as sort of forms of guarantee, negotiating uh, pawns or chips to negotiate with the Israelis, um, and literally to bait the IDF to come into the Gaza Strip. Um, and uh, you know, it, it was a successful tactic in terms of what Hamas wanted to achieve. The Israelis did indeed uh, invade the Gaza Strip, and in large part, the justification for launching this ground invasion was to get the hostages back, right? The Israelis could just pound the Strip from the air, and they have, and I believe in at least one instance actually appeared to have uh, killed another hostage uh, in an airstrike, but... So it it's a really tough um, situation, obviously, for the Israeli military. And any time you fight in a dense urban area, it is very difficult. But let's let's talk about what we know went down, and then I'll talk about my own experiences. Uh, so these three hostages, for reasons that aren't really clear, uh, were moved to the town of Shijaya. And Shijaya, uh, the IDF, right, it said, was a, a site of some pretty intense fighting in the last uh, several uh, several days or several hours. Uh, this is as the 
uh, Israeli military right is operating much more extensively in the south while still working to try to get control of the northern Gaza Strip. So these individuals right were held in uh, Shijaya and at some point, all three either successfully fled their captors or were abandoned by their captors, right, who were uh, leaving their positions, right, in the face of Israeli pressure. Um, and so for whatever reason, they were uh, hostages who had been released, right, or were released, uh, whether by the IDF indirectly through putting pressure on Hamas through Hamas themselves. It's also possible sometimes Hamas uh, will intentionally put civilians onto a battlefield. And I say Hamas, uh, this is a very common tactic when you have insurgencies who operate with very few rules are fighting against a Western military that operates with an extensive set of rules. Very common for um, insurgent groups like this to use civilians on the battlefield uh, and intentionally create these conditions where the battlefield is very muddled, where the Western forces have to deploy some of their resources to safeguard these civilians um, instead of focusing on engaging in, in engaging the enemy in combat. I, I've, I've seen it, guys. I can tell you with absolute certainty, the Taliban did not care about civilians on the battlefield. I, I, I have seen Taliban launch huge ambushes literally while our patrols were like surrounded with school kids. And we would always be like, get out of here, kids. Like, go, go anywhere else. Do why would you be near us? Like, we are a target. Don't you know this? Don't your parents know this? And like the Taliban, they just wouldn't care, right? They would they would be like, ambush the Westerners. If if the kids are gonna get KIA, they get KIA. So this is a very standard tactic. Um, so it wouldn't shock me if again they were released into these combat zones intentionally. Um, that said, that said, um, regardless, these uh, hostages emerged near IDF positions. Uh, it says during intense combat, right? During intense combat can mean a lot of things. It could mean that this operation involved intense combat. It could mean literally they were put out in the middle of a firefight, uh, which is itself, uh, again, if, if, if that were the case, then I would believe that it was intentional by Hamas to put them into danger. But these hostages had no shirts on, and they were waving a stick with a white flag on it. And likely, these hostages probably took off their shirts to demonstrate to even a, a casual observer that there was no there was no vest. You know that oftentimes uh, individuals, militants will. I'm trying to think of a word that won't get me demonetized, will um, uh, go on combat missions where they are the weapon and they're not supposed to return. Do you know what I mean? So they were probably showing that they don't have the special vests uh, soldiers on those type of one-way missions wear. Um, and they were waving a stick with a white cloth on it, right? Which is a, a, a universal sign for surrender. And clearly they were indicating that they were civilians. Um, and God, I hate this. Uh, NBC News, a threatened IDF soldier opened fire at the group. I want to be super clear here. Um, the soldier was not threatened. The civilians on the battlefield are not a threat. And the, the, I have been on active battlefields with civilians. Distinguishing them is, it's not easy, but our rule in the United States military was to, to basically err on the side of caution. You had to see the weapon, right? You had to have what, what we call positive identification, which means you have to observe a weapon or an action taken that is hostile to you. 
Um, so for example, uh, again, raising a weapon at, at a US, US forces was a positive identification. Uh, if you were to, you know, be actively using a mortar, uh, the classic one, honestly, and realistically, it was a muzzle flash. You see a muzzle flash, you hear rounds impacting around you, you can fire back at the muzzle flash because you don't need to know who's behind it. If you're seeing the flashing muzzle, it's pointed at you. And frankly, someone's hostile. Like you don't need to know everything about what's behind it or what's, what is, who is holding the weapon, right? And so... But the important thing is that shooting rando civilians was a a massive no no. I can't I can't tell you how much of a bad idea. There are U.S. Army officers who were they've been pardoned who were in jail for doing exactly what this IDF soldier did. So one, I'm bothered by NBC describing the IDF soldier as threatened. Um, Maybe they felt threatened, but they weren't actually threatened. Uh, they see this group waving white flags and open fire immediately, killing two of the hostages and injuring a third hostage who ran back into the building, an official said. He yelled for help in Hebrew. A commander issued a ceasefire. The fact that you're close enough to hear him cry for help says that, one, there was a lull in the fighting because you can't hear someone speaking, uh, yelling from across a, an alley or across a building uh, while a firefight's going on, right? So there was some kind of lull in the combat, either before or after. Um, commander says, hey, cease fire, stop shooting. Um, there was another round of gunfire and the hostage died, which I also think is annoyingly convoluted, right? And this is an Israeli official. And you notice the way these 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 statements are structured; they are are intentionally obfuscating the simple reality that happened. An IDF soldier didn't open fire at the group. IDF soldiers shot the group, killing two of the hostages. They injured a third hostage who ran back in the building. He cried for help in Hebrew, and was still shot at by another round of gunfire. And it's not clear the third person died from the, the being shot that last time or if he just had fatal injuries from the first time. They also noted that there was a building in the vicinity that said SOS on it. So oh, the official said this was against our rules of engagement. He said, I repeat, this was against our rules of engagement. But here's what makes it hard to believe, guys. There are only about 200 of the, what, 7 or 8 million people in, in, in Gaza who are hostages. Right, that's the stat that I heard. So, if three of those to date, other than these hostage exchanges, I'm not tracking any that have been spontaneously rescued. Right, so that means that the first time they had a chance to rescue some hostages, and they were clearly civilians, the IDF just shot them. It indicates that the Palestinians who don't get news coverage, whose identities they don't care about probably have been subject to the same thing, especially given that this wasn't one jumpy soldier, right? This was a whole unit, a whole unit where their commander maintained command and control the whole time. Even after issuing, ordering a ceasefire, their soldiers continued to fire at these uh, civilians. And so I see this and the, it makes me really, 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 it's evidence to me that the IDF is probably not following the law of war, and they're probably inflating 
the the number of militants, right? Because if again, if these weren't hostages, if these were just Gaza civilians who were trying to get out of a combat zone and they were also shot, undoubtedly the IDF would not undoubtedly, I am pretty sure the IDF would have just marked them as civilians. And I say that not in judgment against the IDF per se, but there is a tremendous incentive as evidenced by all this incident to pretend to, to make as many civilians uh, terrorists as possible. Right. Because one, no one wants, no one feels good killing a civilian. Right. I shouldn't say no one. Most of us don't feel good killing a civilian. Right. I say this soldiers in general, that's not what we're here to do. And, and they do experience guilt for it. So you don't want to. So there's an incentive to just delude yourself if that happens. Two, the legal re ramifications of killing a civilian should be significant, right? They, they, again, in the United States, we'd launch a military investigation. Uh, you would suspend that commander. You would uh, almost certainly pull those troops that fired off the front line simply to ensure good order and discipline while the investigation takes place. And then... Of course, you have the political fallout, right? In the United States, uh, we believed that the Afghans in, in Afghanistan, it was the sim similar in Iraq, that the civilian population needed to believe sincerely that the United States military were the good guys, were there to help the Afghan people, were there to build a stable government, and were going to do right by them. And But every time a civilian dies... And that their family believes that it was caused by the U.S. military, regardless of whether it was true or not. Uh, that takes the U.S. mission to get the population on our side, and it steps it six steps back. You could spend a whole year trying to move the relationship forward between the U.S. military and the Afghan population. But if you have one, one civilian killed, you move it all the way back. Their whole family... Their extended family all hate you. The whole village hates you, uh, you know, and with good reason, right? You're a foreigner in their country, and you sh you you shot a civilian. It's not okay, right? And so, when uh, one of the narratives that the IDF has been pushing was that, hey, we're trying to free the Palestinian people here, and yeah, uh, 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 it's hard to argue that you are freeing the Palestinian people from Hamas. That your goal is surgical. Right, that you're you're only going after Hamas militants when you have stuff like this happen, when you you are playing fast and loose with the rules, when your soldiers are not fighting with the level of discipline required, right? When you're facing so much criticism and so many allegations from the rest of the world for violating the law of war, it's like if you know that's your political vulnerability, you have to be on your P's and Q's. You have to never make those mistakes. Never make an unforced error, right? War, it, it, there's a guy named Von Clausewitz who was the original thinker of, of, of conflict. And what he did, it was a fascinating story. Von Clausewitz basically served in, during the Napoleonic Wars. He wrote like 10 volumes on war. And then late in his life, looked around and was like, oh my God, I got all of this wrong. I missed the fundamental aspect of war itself. And he went back and he threw all those books in the trash. He's like, I got to rewrite them. And he rewrote two of them. And basically those two books of on war are now the thesis of how the entire Western world thinks of war.
And the basic premise is war is just a political action. It is a type of political action that involves the use of force. So the IDF seems to have forgotten this, right? Hamas doesn't. Hamas knows they're playing a political game, that militarily they stand no chance. Their only chances for wins are political wins. And they're playing the game very well. The IDF is still fighting like, like this is, like the war in Gaza is, is a distinct entity from the political question of the Palestinians, right? And it's not. And when, and they, the fact that their troops are too trigger happy for the kind of war they're in, as evidenced by this killing of these hostages, is a is a sign that the Israeli military campaign is 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 fundamentally misguided, and nobody wants to hear it, right? But listen, I, I'm not some Hamas stan, okay? They're, they're they're terrorist guys. I don't know what else to tell you. I don't that. I'm, I'm from the generation where that, that is an insult, by the way. Uh, apparently, in Gen Z, you, you can be a terrorist and it's cool and fine, but uh, I consider it an insult. Um, but that said, right, I fought a war to a high ethical and moral standard. I treated civilians the way they needed to be treated. So when I say this is a failure, this is a fundamental failure of your troops and their discipline, it's coming from someone who's who's who understands the weight of what that means. And I think the IDF would do well to figure out why this happened, figure out if this is more widespread. Because remember, every time a civilian is killed in one of these conflicts, that civilian's family, that civilian's kids, you're never going to get them back on your side. You're, they're never going to support kicking out Hamas. Because look, man, you killed their kid, their dad, their brother. People carry that for their whole lives, man. Their lives are defined by losing loved ones. And when you do it at a scale of tens of thousands of people, as some people are, you know, as, as the Israelis appear to have done, right? I think even their own numbers say there's tens of thousands of civilians who've been killed here. It's a recipe for disaster. Now, a thanks to the Combat Veterans Reacts News Channel. I'm Kent Garrett. This edition of The Last Negroes at Harvard was recorded on Sunday, September 17th at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time. At that time, the slaughter in Gaza continued.